0: John chapter 12, and we'll read verses 20 to 26. Let's all rise for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who were from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God.
1: When I read this verse, I think about a time where I got to visit a rather historic church in Georgia. There are many memorable things about this visit to this church. I remember walking in and looking up at the high ceilings and feeling at the same time comforted, yet fearful. I remember looking around and seeing the windows so tall that it would radiate the sunlight from morning's first stretch to the evening's yawn. And just as I started to feel uneasy, I noticed the sturdy columns that offered a little balance Yet most of all, at the center, I noticed a high pulpit that allows you to plant your feet only to look up once more. I had to climb up the narrow staircase to the pulpit, where at the top of the steps, at eye level, I saw an aged brass plaque held up by two screws holding up an even older message, a message that would never tarnish, never fade, never tire. It read in the King James Version, "'Sir, we would see Jesus.'" This phrase here today triggers the climax of why the Word became flesh, why Jesus came. This is significant not just for those who preach God's Word in the pulpit, But also for all who would take God's word out into the public. Today's gospel message is this, if we can click. To see Jesus, we must follow him. To see Jesus, we must follow him. And we will look at this in three points first, the hour, the glory, and the promise. The hour. As we look at verse 20 to 23, we see the context here that, in fact, some Greeks, some Gentiles are seeking after Jesus. You know, there's a Latin phrase, tempus fugit, meaning time flies, and I think it applies here. We've been in the Gospel of John for a couple months now. For some of us, maybe it feels like years. Although it may have seemed long, if we pause and look back, we will realize that we actually covered a little over two years in the timeline of Jesus' public ministry. Most of what remains in the Gospel of John will cover the days that lead to Christ's death and resurrection. So here today, Greeks or Gentiles, people with out any racial distinction per se come to seek Jesus we see that this is important because it triggers Jesus' response in verse 23 where he says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified Christ did not come to seek only the lost Jews but all who are lost Jews and Gentiles If we remember back in chapter 10 of John, Jesus the Good Shepherd addresses the Pharisees and he says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let me put it into perspective. This is why many of us here who are not of Jewish descent could be a part of God's people. It is because God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son. The call to Christ is for the world. The call to Christ goes out to all people. This moment where Greeks, Gentiles seek after Jesus, when they request to see Jesus, it triggers the work of salvation that Christ will do. If we can click once more, in John 2.4, we see at the wedding, when they run out of wine, Jesus is requested to do something about it. And although he does make water into wine, he says this, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Again in John 7:30 we see that people come to try to arrest Jesus. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And again in John 8:20 at the same place at the Feast of Booths where Christ proclaims that he is the light of the world, again we see no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But today, in John 12, when some Greek Gentiles seek Jesus, he replies, the hour has come. Come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. We see again in verse 27 of John 12, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the turning point in the ministry of Jesus. We see for a little over two years, Jesus works in the public and ministers to the people, healing the sick, preaching the kingdom. Yet here, we find the significance of when, not just the Jews, but when all people start to seek after Jesus, Jesus says, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So point two, The glory, we see that the hour is now here. Now Christ will speak of his glory. In verse 24, if you'll look with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus speaks of his own death in this context of glory. He is the grain of wheat that dies and bears much fruit. He is the bread of life that is broken, which gives life to men. This glorious message is fundamental to our faith, that we who deserve the rightful punishment of death were given life because Christ gave his own life in our place. And though this message has been proclaimed time and time again, I pray it will be never trite, never tarnished, or never tired. This is foundational to our faith. Before this is applied to us as Christians going out into the world, this is first shown to us through the life of Jesus Christ who as the grain gave himself up so that by him there would be a harvest. Let me make this personal. Often, you know, when we don't get what we want, we find ourselves saying, but I deserve this, whatever it may be. When we get something we don't feel like we deserve, we often find ourselves, but I don't deserve this. I deserve better. We have become entitled to the life that was only afforded to us at the cost of Christ's own life. We must remember all we deserve, friends, is death by a cross. All we deserve is death to come and collect the payment of our sins. Yet here is the good news that Christ ransomed us out of this debt and rewarded us salvation. That is life for all eternity. When assessing how we are doing, we need to be in the habit of concluding our life is better than we deserve. One of my old seminary professors shared this, that this is how he often responds when people ask, how are you doing? He says, better than I deserve. And if the poor soul who asked this should ask, what do you mean? It would be a glorious opportunity to share the gospel. But as we think about the gains and losses in our lives, friends, the things that come with life, the things we think we deserve, the things we think we do not deserve, let's reflect on the foundation of our faith. That in reality, all we deserve because of our sin is death by a cross. Yet because of Christ, He has given us eternal life. The glory of Christ is that He does the Father's will to be obedient to the point of death, even... Death by a cross, as Philippians 2.8 tells us. His death atoned, paid for, ransomed our debt of sin. His resurrection gives us a new debt-free life. This is good news indeed. Death is not the end for Christ, and death is neither the end for Christians. Once the debt is paid, a debt-free life is given so that we may truly Live. Let me give you an illustration. Many of us can level with this, at least in some worldly understanding. Many of us carry with us a debt debts from schools, from loans, from credit cards, mortgage, favors. Many of us will spend most of our natural lives paying off this debt. We are familiar with debt. But we're also familiar with getting mail that says that we could be debt free and that someone is willing to buy it out or make it better. And we don't even bother to read the rest because we know it is often built on empty promises and stipulations and contracts and fine prints. But here, the message of Christ is that he paid our debt to the fullest. He even paid for the projected interest for all future debts. So that even as we stumble and fall, we can come in repentance and be forgiven of our sins. We are dead to it and have a new life. We are given a new name without debt attached to it. When this message finds us, it is not junk mail that says something in big, bold letters and then adds a whole bunch of stipulations on how to receive it. It simply states, your debt has been paid in full. Period. This is why we proclaim, whether Jew or Gentile, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This gospel message is not for a select minority of a certain race, but Jews and Gentiles alike. You and I alike. That is why when the Greeks and the Gentiles here seek Jesus, the message of the gospel is advanced into fruition. It is triggered, it is activated, where Christ will now advance into his glory, beginning with his death on a cross for you and I. This is the glory of God. That by the obedience of Christ, the Spirit ushers in many sons to glory. That we who were once lost can call God Father. That by his death, many have life. This is fundamental to Christianity. And we must not lose sight of this. We only have life, eternal life, because Christ gave his own for us. And in verse 24, it ends with his death that yields a harvest, that yields fruit, of which he is the firstfruits. We see death is the start of his glory, yet the glorious resurrection is the end of death for all who would come to Jesus. Let me say this again. Death is the start of his glory, yet the glorious resurrection is the end of death. For all who seek Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits from the dead, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus will say, in other words, again in John 12, 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. If this is the glory of the gospel message, then here is the promise. The third point, the promise. As we look in verse 25, if you will read with me into 26, Jesus continues Not only has the hour come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Not only is he the grain that falls into the earth and dies and bears much fruit, but he now gives us a promise. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Whoever loves this life loses it, and whoever hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We often think that the claims of the gospel is to come and lose everything. It seems like a loss, and in some ways it is true. However, it is incomplete. The claim of the gospel is to come and lose everything that is worthless and gain everything that is of everlasting value. It is to come and get rid of the weight of this world that sucks the life out of us and pick up the cross that gives life. The gospel message is never that your life will be easier if you come to Christ. No, the hardships and brokenness will remain in this present context, but we will not carry it with us to the other side of glory. We will be carried out of it, ushered into the land where there is no more tears. This, too, is fundamental to the gospel message, that when we come and give our life When we come and give everything, we realize what we have given up is worthless. What we have given up are things that actually suck the life out of us. And as we take up the cross, heavy it may be, we're given true life. Friends, do not romanticize the tragic love for this time-bound life. Fall in love with what is everlasting and true, which will stand the test of time. You know, often we have this distorted Shakespearean love for our finite lives that will only end in tragedy apart from Christ. Sometimes we have a sour aversion to happy endings and hope because we don't think they really exist But it does, and this is what the gospel proclaims. This is what the gospel promises. If you dare give up your life, you will have a far better life, a life for all eternity, a life that is not bound by time and sickness, a life that is not bound by things of this world, but beyond it. Often we hear... Extraordinary testimonies of people who are really living on the front lines. And you know, we wrongly assume that we cannot live a life like that, but we can. Be encouraged. This call, this promise, this challenge, this encouragement is not only for a few, but all that are called to Christ. The call to the cross is not categorized into hierarchies of missionaries or pastors or disciples or this person or that person. The call to the cross is simple. The call to the cross is to all to lay down your life that is filled with empty hopes and to live boldly for God. Yes, some will go to the pastorate, some will go on the mission field, but all are called to the priesthood of all believers. All are called to the harvest fields. For the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. The same God that has called Abraham and Moses and David, the heroes we look up to, the same Lord who has called his 12, calls you to the same hope and therefore to the same endeavors to be salt and light to this world. This call is not for the select few, This call is for all who wish to see Jesus. This call is for all who come to the cross. In this season of Lent, don't give up social media or red meat or carbs or negative thoughts to just love yourself better. But give up your life for eternal life. Okay, that was a cheap shot, I I understand, but you get what I'm trying to say. It's Lent it's Lent, it's okay, it's okay. The call is to give up our lives. And as we see in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I want us to pay close attention here. Service to Christ must come with the trust to follow him. Service to Christ must come with the trust to follow him. In other words, you cannot be serving Christ unless you are following him. If you feel lost, perhaps it is because you have stopped following Christ. Follow after him, brothers and sisters. If you serve and serve and yet feel far from the Lord, perhaps it is because you are not following after him. Run after him, brothers and sisters. You cannot serve Christ without following him. This leads to a tired and bitter life. Yet serving Christ while following him leads to a joyous life. Sounds like a fortune cookie, I know but it's true nonetheless. If we are to serve Christ, it is understood that we would follow after Him. That we're not just busybodies in the church doing things. That we're not just speaking up with the things that are broken in this world. That we're not just doing all these works. But that we are following after Christ. That we are desiring Him. That we are in the Word, that we are in prayer, that we draw near to Him, knowing that He draws near to us. Our service to Christ must be also a following after Him. Again, we hear testimonies of those who live boldly for Christ and we feel a sense of inferiority. This is not so. You are not any less than those who can proclaim great testimonies. They just know how to serve Christ and follow Him. If you want to live a life filled with the testimony of God's amazing work, then don't just serve Him, follow after Him. Follow Him to your schools and show them Jesus. Follow Him to your workplaces and show them Jesus. Follow Him to our churches, and show each other Jesus. Follow him to your homes and show them Jesus. If you follow him, you will be where he is. You will be near Jesus. He will be near you. If anyone serves Jesus in this way, we are told that the Father will honor him as well. What does this mean? It means that the Father will honor you with great testimonies of His work. As we have heard, the beauty of testimonies often come from ordinary people, but testify to the extraordinary work of our God. The Father will honor you with hope in situations of darkness. The Father will honor you by showing you greater things than yourself. The Father will honor you by giving you imperishable riches. The Father will honor you on the last day by saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me conclude with this, friends, brothers and sisters. Today, as we see the Greeks, the Gentiles seek after Jesus, we see himself proclaim that his hour has come. Yet upon hearing the good news this morning, for those who are seeking Christ today, I say to you, your hour has come. You have heard the good news of Christ's glory and the promise of that message, and now you must respond. For some... This will be the first time. Others, many others, for the renewal of your convictions. Your hour has come. Hear the good news and the promise and come before the Lord again. Lay your life down that you may truly live. If you've been tired and out of breath and bitter for living for the things of this world, come to the cross and lay those burdens down and follow after Jesus. I think about that old brass plaque once more, holding up the weight of the message by the arms of nails, tarnished and unworthy, yet finding its worth in the message of Christ that shines for all men to see. You and I, as we think about being crucified with Christ together, feel the same way, don't we? Tarnished, unworthy, little. Yet the beauty of the message that you and I are able to hold is the very reason we can hold it in boldness and in joy. Though we are unworthy, the message is worthy. Though we are tarnished, the message shines. Though we are little, The message is big. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. May our response then be follow me as I follow Christ. To see Jesus, we must follow him. To show Jesus to others, we must walk with them so that they too may follow him. Let's pray.